1, at the second part of verse 1, he says, I beseech you that you also receive not the grace of God in vain. And we talked about there, is, there are Christians who receive a vain gospel. A gospel that has no saving ability. It's not because the gospel isn't powerful. It's because their faith was not in the gospel. They didn't trust in Christ. They didn't repent of their sins and surrender to Him as Lord of their life. They, they, they took a cheap version of the gospel, which can so often be presented in so many churches and by so many Christians in this world through easy believism and different methods like that. And so he tells them in verse 2, he says, I have... For he saith, and this is God speaking, it's an Old Testament quote, I have heard thee in a time accepted, in the day of salvation I have secured thee, or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time, behold, now is the day of salvation. What that's saying is, if you're not saved, you need to get saved today because the door to the ark of salvation is open. But there is a day when it won't be. There is a day when salvation will not be available. Be saved. And so... He elevates the importance of that. Then, then last week we saw one of the ways that you would endure in ministry is understanding that you need to guard yourself from offense, that you would not stir up controversy with your life by allowing something in your life to mar the gospel, to mar your testimony. He says in verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. And, and and the word offense there is the idea of doing something that would cause somebody to stumble. Uh, some of us have had different Christian, perhaps, leaders in our life uh, that caused us to stumble because they said something, did something, uh, behaved in a certain way, their attitude perhaps, and it, and it was offensive. And so Paul sought to live in such a way that the message would never be marred by the messenger. And so last week I gave you nine ways a Christian can offend others. How important that is. So... So he says in verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Make sure when you minister that you and I do not do things that could be offensive to other people. Uh, now you and I will offend people with truth when we present the gospel, but don't do anything in your life that could be sinful, that could mar the gospel is the idea there. Also, the attitude in which you present the gospel could be offensive, so watch that as well. And then he says in verse 4, But in all things, approving ourselves as ministers of God in patience, in much patience. Now, the word patience is what I want to key in on there. The word approving there is like commending ourselves. We, we are commending ourselves as the ministers of God. Uh, we are approving ourselves to you uh, in much patience. The word patience there is hupomene, and it is a Greek word that really cannot be translated just in one English word. It's, it's heavier than that. There's more to it. Uh, the word patience carries the idea of patiently enduring through trials and hardships, that you would be steadfast, that no matter how big the trial is, that you would, you would make it through it. But it doesn't simply mean patiently enduring it, like gritting your teeth and, and just lasting. But the idea is that you would you would endure through that with joy as well, that you would, you would look past the trial and have a sense of cheerfulness at what is coming because of the trials that you're going through. You would look in anticipation to future glory. It, it would probably better said like this um, in, in verse 4, but in all things approving ourselves as ministers of God in much cheerful patience. Like it's, it's the idea of, of looking ahead, as Colossians 1.11 says, strengthened with all might according to the, His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. You hope omine, it's, 
It's I, I joyfully anticipate the end. It's not a negative outlook. It's a positive outlook. You ever seen somebody who's pessimistic, but they're gritting their teeth and holding on to their Bible verse? It's not that attitude. So the first quality that it marked a life that lasts is somebody who is enduring, enduring. So friend, if you are in a trial right now, you need to look beyond the present pain to the future promise, beyond the past the, the, the present hurt and to the future hope. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 really uh, lay this down. It uses the same word here. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with hupomene, or patience, the race that is set before us. Now look what he says. Looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the what? The joy that was set before him. This is that hupomene type of spirit. You endure it. He endured the cross, but it wasn't just enduring it. it was, he was looking past it because he despised his shame, and now he's set down on the right hand of the throne of God. So you ever notice wounds hurt worse when you dwell on them? You ever hurt yourself at work or something, but then you get busy working, and you're like, you know, you kind of forgot about it, but then you sit down, and you're like, man, my arm is starting to hurt again. <laughs> it's, we, we, I remember one time in football in high school, I, uh, I, I, I had got an injury. I, I tore my fingernail back, and it was bleeding pretty good, and I said, man, and coach was like, what's wrong? I said, you know, I just really tore up my finger here. And he, and he squazed my other finger on like another hand like so hard, I was like, you're going to break my finger. He's like, does the other finger hurt anymore? I was like, no, but this one does. You know, he's like, see, he's like, you just got to change your focus. I was like, well, thank you. Let me see your little finger, sir. It just didn't work that way. But, you know, it's important to know this pain is not wasted on the believer. Uh, God uses trials to benefit our endurance and to build our spiritual life. Um, this, this word hupomene is used multiple times in the book of James chapter one. What's James chapter one say? He tells us in verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy, which is actually a, a term uh, in, in, the, in the Greek that count it all, it, it was, it was a, like keeping a ledger, like count it, reckon it, um, calculate it. When, when you fall into diverse temptations, these are perosmos is the word for temptations there. It's like it could be translated as trials or temptations, and it depends on whether it's a trial or a temptation based on, on the, the outcome. He says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh hupomene, it, it builds patience. So when you're tested and you're going through a trial, it is creating an endurance in you. But let hupomene, or let patience, have her perfect or complete work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. So, so you need to understand that God doesn't waste pain on us. You go through a trial because there's something else better he's doing. Peter didn't get it, did he? I mean, he, he rebuked the pain that Jesus was going to face. But it was a better outcome because of Christ's suffering. They did, you know, Mary and Martha didn't understand their brother dying. Jesus, if you had been here, our brother had not died. They didn't understand it, but there was something greater at work that the pain would produce than if it wasn't there. All of us have seen that true in our own life, haven't we? And, and, and it's tough sometimes. It's tough sometimes. But, but you know, the good news is we can trust God for what we don't understand. Isn't he trustworthy? And if the worst happens and we die, we get paradise forever. Right? 
I mean, you know, there's going to be people, you know, Lord, I can't believe you let me die. And they die and they get to heaven. They're like, what was I saying? You know, I mean, seriously, I think, I think in heaven, they're going to be like, we're going to do a rerun on you, like your last few sentences there. And, uh, you know, not to take it lightly, but I'm telling you in heaven, one glimpse of that place. And we're going to say, what was I hanging on to that deathbed for? What was I hanging into that body where my knees buckled, but my belt wouldn't? I mean, my hair was, you know, I was my teeth, I couldn't, you know, I was in a bad situation, you know, my health was not good. And, you know, the order, getting old's not for the weak, they say, is it? Uh, I'm 142 right now. I, daughter of yours, I got all these girls that age me. First Peter 4.12, he says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that's to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But, but what's he say? He says rejoice. I mean, we, you know, outlook can determine outcome, can't it? You begin to see things in a different light. We have to have a biblical perspective because I tell you, friends, life can just hurt sometimes. I mean, it, and, and there doesn't feel a way to, be, to, to sedate it. We, we need to have the, the, the remedy of God's word laid upon our hearts. You know, sometimes I'll go to a hospital and somebody will be in ICU and, and they're just not in a place where they can communicate a lot because their health is just really... So I'll, I'll just read them scripture. I'll just read. You know, t- take, take the, the, the word of God is like a sedative, isn't it? You know, I, I know if I was in my last moments, wouldn't you want to hear John 14 read to you? I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you into myself. Be reminded that he is the way, the truth, and life. Wouldn't you want Psalms 23 read in your ear? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. To hear the words, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can tell you, uh, that may not mean as much when you're young and healthy, but when you get to that point in your life where you are breathing and struggling to hold your last breath, and you know eternity waits you, the Word of God is what brings the soul peace. And so, when we read tonight, verse 4 through 10, it may seem like Paul is just discombobulating all these words together. Like, is he just, just mixing a bunch of words together? I mean, this just seems like a lot. You know, and I, I confess, I have 27 points I need to share with you before we end tonight. So... <laughs> Actually, three broken down in many subpoints, but uh, it's important to know there are three lists that Paul just gave us in verse four through ten, broken down in nine specific words and statements. The first one has to do with the negative elements that can come upon our life, and 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 you have to be able to endure this. So he says you you need to have patient endurance. So so the first thing is you got to. You've got to understand you're a worker with God. Don't be offensive. And in patience, endure ministry. And then he gives us nine, uh, uh, be willing to endure nine negative experiences. And then the second list he gives in verse number six and seven are uh, nine positive attributes that need to be displayed in our life. And then he closes in verse eight through ten with nine paradoxes the faithful minister must endure as well. So let's take a look at these 27 elements. You ready? Some of you are like, oh no, this is, I'm glad I sat in the back of the row. So nine negative elements that must be endured by the faithful minister. So he first of all says, in afflictions. 
and afflictions. Now, if there's anybody that dealt with afflictions, it's the Apostle Paul. This is the Greek word philipsis. It means suffering both physically, emotionally, spiritually. This is also the fifth time Paul used this word in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 140, remember how 2 Corinthians starts out? God, who he's referring to, comforteth us in all our philipsis, our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any philipsis or trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted. So he launches the book off with the idea that there are going to be afflictions, tribulations, troubles. He tells them in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, that he was pressed out of measure in such trouble that he wasn't sure he was even going to live. He tells them in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 4, out of much affliction or philipsis and anguish of heart I wrote unto you. And then here in chapter 4 verse 17, just a couple chapters back, he says, referring to the tribulation he went through, he says, for our light affliction or our light philipsis, which is bit for a moment, worketh a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So, I mean, I mean, he went through some serious trouble and trial and he's like, but it's really just a light affliction. He kept bringing it back in focus of eternal things. So afflictions will come. Secondly, necessities, which refer to inevitable hardships that you will face because you live in a fallen world. This is important to know. The word necessities there, it's the idea of inescapable pressures that you will just face because you are a human on earth. Sometimes people say, why did this happen to me? Well, sometimes it could be God testing you. Sometimes it could be Satan coming against you in some kind of attack. But, but many times it could just be that you are a human living in a world that has fallen. You know, I can't believe, you know, why did, why, did, why did my tire go flat? Because tires go flat. What did my car overheat? What's God doing? Uh, well, he can use that to grow you and test you and challenge you and benefit you. And Satan can, can use that. But a lot of times it's just stuff that happens because you just live in the world that is fallen and filled with sin. This world, if you would, has, it's just cancer-ridden. And the cancer is sin, and it's infected everything. It infects society, our culture, health, relationships. You know, why, why, why is this relationship so hard? Or why are these friends, you know, so difficult to get along with? Teens going back to school. Why is it so hard at school? And my teachers and, and, and families, why is it so hard to get along with my parents? Or why is it so easy to get along with my kids because my kids are so perfect and all the kids said... I didn't say anything. And so, um, and, and, and parents getting along with each other and all of that. Why is it? Because we live in a sin-filled world. These are, these are necessities. It's affected everything. But we must have a hupomine spirit. We endure it with joy. And, and the third word is in distresses. The word distresses there in verse 4, it's a word that speaks of being in a tight or narrow place. Anybody claustrophobic? Like if you were just smushed into something, in a dark hole. Think about being upside down right now. Lower down. And it's real tight. And then they, you went into a curve and you got stuck. Are you feeling good now? You're like, Josh, please stop. I was, I was splunking. Anybody know what splunking is? Yeah, I was splunking once. These guys were like, let's go splunking, man. Let's go splunking. Guy, you know, splunking. I don't even know what this is. We, you know, I'm in college, but you'll try anything. I mean, I jumped off high bridges and did crazy things and and so we went splunking, we, which, which basically was going in caves at night, at like 10 o'clock at night. It was 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock by the time we got. But we went back in this cave with bats flying around, and we got so deep into this thing. And I was thinking, the only thing between life and death is the 
double A batteries right now inside this. <laughs> but this, but, but we, I remember the kid, this little tiny kid was with us, and he's like, man, you know, climb up in this part, and, and, and like, you could see this, like, water, and there's like a lizard back there, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I said, get out of here. And so I climbed up in there, and I mean, I was stuck. You ever get, st- you know, you're climbing like this, and I mean, I'm wedged in there. I look over, and there's like a little pool of water like a bowl. And I was like, there's nothing there. I'm stuck. And I'm like, I can't get out. Pull my legs. Pull my legs. <laughs> it was miserable. Unless you're in like something like that, you can't, you're just done. I'm like, I would die if I didn't have anybody with me. I've been, I was in bad shape. And so that's the last time I've been splunking. They splunking me again. <laughs> Sounded cool as a young kid. And distress is like a tight place. Sometimes you say, you know, I'm in a tight spot or, you know, I'm in a pinched situation. And we mean that we're in a situation it's not easy to navigate. You're trying to, trying to work through something and resolve it. You know, Paul was in some distressing situations. And at one point in his life, he said, I prayed three times that God would get me out of this situation to remove this messenger of Satan that's buffeting me. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, the Lord responds by saying, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And, and, and Paul responded by saying, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The tight situation was not Paul's problem. It was actually the tight situation that God used to squeeze the pride out of Paul. Tight situations have an effect of squeezing weaknesses out of our life. And sometimes we need those necessities. Uh, the fourth one here is in stripes. These were physical beatings. Paul faced many of these. He said, I have stripes above measure, according to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23. Uh, Acts 16, 23, they laid many stripes upon him and threw him in the prison cell there in Philippi. A fifth one is imprisonments. You know, John the Baptist was imprisoned. Many of the apostles were imprisoned. Paul was faced imprisonment. He wrote four New Testament epistles while in prison. Do you know what they are? book of Philippi, he wrote the book of uh, uh, Ephesus, Philemon, and Colossia, all of those while he was sitting in a prison cell. So, so prison but didn't rob his joy, did it? Uh, he said, my bonds are made manifest in all the palace, according to Philippians chapter 1, uh, because of his imprisonment. Uh, he was leading Onesimus, uh, he, he was leading people to Christ in, 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 while he was in prison. Uh, Onesimus got saved when he was in his prison, according to Philemon chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Timothy 2, 9, he says, uh, though he is bound, he said, the word of God is not bound. So, so prison happened to him, but it did not bind the gospel. He goes on, the sixth element that could be negative is tumults. Uh, this refers to like mob violence, uh, riots, civil disturbances. Uh, what happened to Paul many times is he didn't create persecution. He wasn't looking for that. He didn't try to stir people up, but the Jews and his enemies would stir up the mobs and they would take him and, and, and many times uh, people were beaten and uh, you find that through the book of Acts chapter 13 through 17. Uh, a seventh one is in labors. Uh, that's a Greek word, kapos. Uh, it means working to a point of exhaustion. Uh, not only did he minister the gospel, but he ministered in a way that just physically was exhausting. He, an eighth one is in watchings. Uh, this describes Paul being awake, unable to sleep, uh, total absence of sleep at times. Uh, he referred in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven to many sleepless nights. Um, sometimes we struggle sleeping because maybe we ate something we shouldn't or we have, uh, but, but if you 
if you've ever been there, and I'm, I assume many of us have if you're older in years, and even younger folks can feel this, but, but if you have a great strain in your heart, uh, you'll find yourself waking up at midnight and your mind is running and, and just uh, there's been seasons of my life where, praise God, it's been, been a while since this stuff's happened, but, but I've had different times where there's just been such pressure on my life that I, I just couldn't sleep and, uh, and, and, and some of you know what that's like. And, and, uh, then, and, and Paul endured that. I mean, he, you know, not only is he exhausted, but then consider his sleeping settings. I mean, we have, we have very comfortable beds, don't we? I mean, we set the temperature at the exact temperature we wanted. I mean, we have my pillows, and I, you know, I always thought that thing was a hoax until I bought one. Who's got a my pillow? Just confession's good for the soul. Yeah, yeah. Once you go in, you're done. I was like, ah, this pillow's not that good, you know. And then by the next night, I'm like, this is really nice. And then I've never gone without it. You know, you travel with my pillow. Anyway, <laughs> so so. Not only in, in sleeplessness, which he calls in watchings, uh, but also in fastings. Uh, this didn't refer to fasting due to like being spiritual, uh, because like, hey, I'm going to go without food. This is fasting because he had no ability to get food. This is this is this is him preaching, traveling. You know, they didn't have restaurants in those days. They didn't have McDonald's, which I'm fine with because I wouldn't eat there. I I, I choose life. Um, <laughs> They didn't, have, they didn't have like a cheap meal to go. Um, they, you know, ministry was tough. And, and uh, he, he went without food many times. And that's why he writes in 1 Timothy 6, 8, he said, having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Well, that doesn't work real well in America, does it? Uh, we seem to be discontent with such uh, wonderful things. Consider tonight how great the Apostle Paul was and how much he faced. I mean, he went without so much. He faced such challenges. So much was placed upon him. So many negative experiences. So he says, if you want to hoopomene, if you want to endure, you have to understand that these kind of things are part of the normal Christian, faithful Christian life. So he gives some nine negative attributes. And then let's look at nine positive attributes of the faithful minister. It starts in verse number six. And the first one is of necessity by pureness. Heading the list is moral purity. I like what Ray Stedman said. He said, this refers to the careful avoidance of all sin which defiles or stains the flesh or spirit. Paul never allowed himself to be found in a compromising relationship with anyone. He carefully guarded not only his behavior, but his thought life, for he knew that it was where defilement begins. You know, how different it would have been if the great apostle Paul had a David and Bathsheba moment a blunder, a mar. Aren't you thankful that Paul was faithful? You know, the greatest thing that a pastor can give you is not a good message, it's a pure life. 2 Timothy 2.21 says, If a man therefore purge himself of these things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. You need to be pure. You need to be pure. And in a day where everything is corrupt, we need to have pure people. Men, you hear me? Pureness. Ladies, pureness. Secondly, by knowledge. And this speaks about the knowledge of God's Word. And this was really a foundational element to a life that lasts. It's, it's built on the rock of the Word. Second Corinthians 11.6 says, But though I be rude in speech, 
He's like, you know what? You Corinthians say, I can't speak well. He says, I may be rude in my speech, yet in knowledge, uh, yet not in knowledge. Uh, Paul knew the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ had revealed truths to Paul that was so glorious, he had to allow trials to come into Paul's life just to keep him humble. And so it is the word of God that cleanses us. Psalms 119 verse 9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? What's it say, church? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Let's read verse 11 together. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Jesus said in John 15, 3, you are clean through the word that I've spoken to you. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Show me a Christian who saturates their heart with the word of God. I'll show you a Christian who has a clean heart. Show me somebody who takes the word of God lightly. I'll show you somebody that the world's sins can easily flow into. Thirdly is by long-suffering. It's the word macrothermia. Refers to having patience with people. Thankfully, we can just skip this because nobody has to deal with this. People are so easy to get along with. Number four. Yeah, right. You know, Paul here, macrothermia is like having a long fuse. He He could deal with people and... And not get just angry easily. You know, a short fuse is a symptom of self-love. The reason it is, is because they're not doing on your time what you thought they should do or saying. And, and, and you make demands from them in such a way. And sometimes they can be reasonable demands. But, but a short fuse, people with short fuses are loveless people. It's a love issue. Long-fused people are loving people. Galatians 5.22, it also tells us this is the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, macrothermia, gentleness. It's long-suffering, and that's really the best word for it, long-suffering, because it's not just defined in, in one word. It's, it's you can suffer long, like you, you, can, you just can last. Don't, aren't you thankful for long-suffering people? But they're, they're, they're fun to tease sometimes, aren't they? To slow burn, warm them up. I do that to my wife sometimes. Anyway, she's looking at me right now. I can feel it. <laughs> I just, I, hey, if you ever get your wife upset, man, this is the wisest statement you will ever say. You ready? Let me give you some wisdom. You want peace in the home. You just look at her and say, why are you being so sensitive? <laughs> that statement will always come back with a negative response. So be ready to run, but it is hilarious. It is hilarious. So don't be sensitive, sweetheart. I love you. <laughs> yeah, I'm on stage. I feel like I'm in a safe. You know, like there's home plate. Like you touch home plate, they can't hurt you. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the pulpit, so I feel like I'm safe. Uh, but she's like, you're coming off there soon. <laughs> I may preach till midnight, folks. I don't know. All night, all night. <laughs> we have security down here to watch my wife. Very, very sensitive. So uh, <laughs> I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I got to stop, I got to stop. You see, this is me. This is me at home. If you want to know how I act, here it is. So uh, pray for my wife. That is true. That is true. Pray for her because she deals with me. So are you patient with people? Are you patient with people? And, this is, this, and, and I think this is in a very serious manner, though. We need to, we need to be patient. And sometimes the places we do struggle, and, and I say this very seriously with our families, um, we can sometimes show great patience for people that are strangers to us and then show great impatience to those that we should love the most. Yep. Amen? Yep. 
So um, one thing you need to think about is how would I treat this person if like the pastor were here or my, you know, some, my boss were here or somebody I respected were here? You know, how would, you know, treat them in a way that, that's respectful, uh, be patient. Number four is by kindness, by kindness. This speaks of goodness in action, it's providing what's needed. Also, that's a fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And so kindness is, is, is a part of those fruits. Uh, it is, it is a, a fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians 2.7 uh, also tells us that one day in heaven for eternity, and, and all throughout eternity, not just one day, but one day when we're there uh, in eternity, God's going to show how much kindness that He poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And how could we not be kind to others if God's been so kind to us? Uh, another attribute that you must display as you minister, if you want to be faithful and endure, is not only to show long-suffering to show kindness, but also you need to understand it's the Holy Ghost. It is the Spirit of God that will allow you to do this. That's, that's why these are the fruits of the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is a word that means be controlled by the Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit comes and, and reigns in your heart. You don't need more of the Spirit of God. You need to surrender more of you to the Spirit of God. It's a, it's a surrender issue. The Spirit-led life. Sometimes people say this, how do you know if you're walking in the Spirit? That's a great question, isn't it? How do you know if you're walking in the Spirit? You know you're walking in the Spirit when you're walking in the Word. And, and, and the, the Spirit-led life is the Scripture-led life because the Spirit wrote the Scriptures and He wants to write them into our life. Number six, by love unfeigned. And, and, and that could simply be uh, stated as love without hypocrisy. This is genuine love. This is sincere love. This isn't some shallow sentimentalism. Okay, This isn't hallmark, crying, emotional, weepy love. Uh, you know, you can love someone and cry and be emotional, obviously. But it's beyond that. This is loving someone to the point you say, I will go without that you may have. I will sacrifice for your benefit. I'll never forget the story, the true story of a mother. She got lost. Her car broke down. There's another country, uh, back road, car broke down, snowstorm came in, she was freezing to death, um, she was trying to find a place to get to to rescue her child because she knew they couldn't make it through the night in the car, and, um, and so when she knew she couldn't get out, she found a place under a tree, took literally all of her clothes off, wrapped her child up in her clothes, and she froze to death while she held that child. When they found her the next morning, the child was still alive, that's what, that's what Agape love is. Total sacrifice. Death. There's stories that just, you hear stories, you know, and, and, and it just sickens me to see some of these situations around America where women are crying out for the right to slaughter their child and they're just so vehement about it. And then you hear the stories of the mothers who come down with cancer and they say, you know, you're going to have to take chemo and, and go through radiation. If you don't, you're not going to live. And the mother chooses to not go through chemo. And there's been multiple stories that I've personally read of mothers who've died shortly after giving birth. And the child lived. She died so the child could live. Isn't that, isn't that something? This is the, this is the, and that's the spirit of, of motherhood, isn't it? I mean, that's what moms do. We need to elevate that in America, right? I mean, that's the kind of spirit that would say, you know what? Uh, and... and that's an honorable sacrifice. If you're going to die for something, let it be for your loved one. 
Uh, number seven is by the word of truth. We're upheld not only by unhypocritical love, genuine love, sincere agape love, but also the word of truth by the scripture. The faithful minister is one whose life is, again, built on the word of God. The word of truth here also can refer to the gospel. As Colossians 1.5 says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of truth of the gospel. So the, the word of truth is the gospel. It's the truth of God's word. You're upheld by that. Number eight, by the power of God. Again, it's not Paul's power. It's not his ingenuity, his wisdom, but it's the power of God that's sustaining him. And then number nine, he says, by the armor of righteousness on the right and on the left. You know, our, our, our life is, is, is not battling flesh and blood, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, but principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a real spiritual battle that goes on. But here he says, uh, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. And, and what he's referring to there is the, the soldier would have in his left hand the shield and on the right hand he would have the sword. So not only do you fend, but you, your, your, your offense Evenly advancing, but also you're defensively shielding. So, so you're both advancing and being attacked, and, uh, and, and that goes on in the faithful minister's life. So let's look at one last, one last element of, of how to faithfully endure. Uh, and, and, and I think this is so rich in verse 8 through 10, and it's the nine paradoxes of the faithful minister. And here, Paul gives us a perspective that I think is so critical to endurance as I said before, outlook can determine our outcome. We must have a divine perspective on life, or life can just be overwhelming. He gives us two perspectives that are true in life, two realities that are constantly at play, uh, one that is negative and one that's positive, one that's temporary, one that's eternal, one in, in the way that the world sees us and one in the way that God sees us. And so, number one, he says, uh, by honor and dishonor. You know, when Paul got saved and he began to preach the gospel. There were those who honored him as the apostle Paul, as, as a preacher, as one who was faithful with the word of God. But it also caused those who hated him to dishonor him as much as they could. And so uh, the Christian has to be able to accept that reality. You have to be able to accept that. You can't be the person who says, I just need everybody to honor me and like me. Everybody's got to give me a thumbs up or I'm going to get upset on this Facebook post or on this Twitter thing or whatever else these social media things you, people do. You got to be able to accept admonition and you got to be able to accept people who honor you and respect you as well as those who would spit in your face for what you believe. And you got to say, you know what, praise God for both. Praise God. Secondly, by evil report and good report. And this is, this is the reality of the faithful minister of God. He faced people who he preached to that loved him, who spoke well of him and honored him. But he also faced incredible slander, false accusations, people who lied about him, sought to discredit him. You know, I've had people who lied about me through the years. Um, early on, people would try to discredit the ministry year. And um, I always said, time and truth holds hands. You'll, you'll find out what the truth is. You know, you, you'll, you'll learn. What, what, what is real and what's not. And One pastor shared the following story. He said this, While I conducted my usual Tuesday evening prison ministry, my wife decided to attend a local home sales party. Our 15-year-old daughter, Faith, was at home and later told us about a call she had taken from one of our church members. It went like this, Hello, is your father home? No, he's in jail, Faith said. <laughs> well, then is your mother home? No, she's at a party. The pastor said, the church member still reminds us of that call. 
You know, misunderstandings can be a reality. A third one is deceivers and yet true. Paul says we're seen as deceivers and yet true. He was accused of being a false apostle when he was in fact not behind the very chiefest of apostles. You know, I'm sure you face that. People who want to discredit you at times, say things that are not true. You got to be able to handle that. You know, they don't define you, God does. Number four, as unknown and yet well-known. Paul was well-known as a Jew before he is a Pharisee. But he was unknown to the Gentiles, but that all flipped when he became a believer, didn't it? He was known to the Gentiles, but rejected and unknown by many of the Jews. Number five, he says, as dying and yet, and behold, we live. His ministry brought him close to death. Often he thought he was going to die, but he just kept living. <laughs> They're like, we can't kill this guy. I mean, at one point, one, some people said they took an oath they wouldn't eat anything until they killed him, and they never killed him. It's like, did they ever eat? You know? He said, as chastened and not killed. They punished him. They beat him. They stoned him. They thought he was dead one time after they stoned him, took him out of the city, and he got up and left. I think that was a supernatural thing God had raised him. Uh, imprisonments, death threats. But through all that chastening, he just kept living. You know, you're, you're really immortal until God's ready to take you home, as long as you don't do some sinful, stupid thing. Don't walk out in front of a semi. Well, pastor said I won't die. unless you know, I'll get to heaven one day and say, hey, I told you, you missed that part of the sermon. You... You missed point B. 26 point, I lost you there somewhere, you know. Lord, I didn't tell him to lick that handrail and walk out in front of that semi-truck. I don't know what he was thinking. You know, the Bible does say, don't tempt the Lord, amen. But, but if you're living for the will of God and you're, you're in his will as much as possible and you don't live in open known sin that you know of and you're seeking God in heaven, you don't have to live day to day in fear. That's why during COVID, we didn't have to live in fear, amen. He's delivered us from that. Number seven is sorrow yet full, yet always rejoicing. You know, Paul's heart broke, and I could talk long about this, but I don't have time. But his heart broke for the Jewish people to be saved. His heart broke for the, the different sins going on in some of the churches. His heart broke for things, but yet he, he said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I said rejoice. His heart was filled with joy, yet he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And then number eight, he says, as poor yet making many rich. You know, Paul was not rich. He was seen as poor by the world, but because he brought them the gospel, he made people wealthier than they could ever have imagined. You know, I uh, had a Honduran young man get saved in my office last Saturday, and he became a child of the king. He may have been born in a poor country, but he is a citizen of heaven now, and he's wealthier than he could ever imagine. You know what, you know what the Lord said to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.9? He said, I know your works in tribulation, and poverty. And then he says this, but thou art rich. He said, you're poor. And I'm, well, how rich do you think you are if Jesus calls you rich? <laughs> and then what did he say to the church of Laodicea who thought they were rich, but they taught false doctrine, allowed wickedness to go on in their church? Revelation 3.17, Jesus says, because you say or thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, yet knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Better to have the world call you rich and heaven call you, better to have the world call you poor and heaven call you rich than the world call you rich and heaven call you poor. And then number nine is having nothing and yet possessing all things. You know, in the eyes of the flesh, Paul really didn't own anything. He, he, he did what Philippians 3.8 says. He says, I gave up everything that I may win Christ. For him, it was worth giving up everything for Christ. 
He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Friend, where are your riches? Are you earthly rich and heavenly poor? You know, God called that man in the book of Luke, chapter 12, he says, you fool, you laid up many riches, and you are poor, you have nothing. And so in conclusion, how can you faithfully endure the ministry to not only start well, but to finish well? You have to have the right perspective. When you understand the privilege of ministry, you minister alongside the Lord. You do it without offense. You recognize persecution, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional struggles will come. You have to respond to things the right way. You have to respond with pureness, knowledge of God's word, patience, kindness to the people through the Holy Spirit, genuine love, God's word, power, and having the armor of God on. And then you understand our life is a paradox. It won't make sense. You'll be honored, dishonored. You'll have nothing, and yet you possess all things. You'll be loved and hated at the same time. You'll be poor, yet making people eternally rich. You, you have to gain these perspectives. You say, how did Paul become like the greatest church planner, missionary, writing the most powerful of realities in the Bible in this New Testament? Some of the greatest, most powerful truths we could ever read. It's because he, he understood these realities. He applied these things to his life. And I know there's a lot of them, and it seems like, man, you know, 27 things to think about, but it's the flow of it. It's understanding there's negative things that will come. There's things I will face. There are some things I've got to put on, pureness, knowledge. I've got to put these right things on, and then I've got to understand things won't always make sense. Things will be a paradox. Jesus said, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where moth and rust doth not corrupt, and where thieves don't break through and steal. But don't, don't lay it up on earth where moth and rust corrupts. Lay it up in heaven, because moth and rust won't corrupt it there. And so understand where your value is, where your, what you value, and, and begin to live for what really matters, what is eternal. 